doors yet. Friday night, how'd he swing that? I think he's lying. Is that a gram? New card. What do you think? Whoa. Very nice. Look at that. Picked them up from the printers yesterday. Good coloring. That's bone. And the lettering is something called Cillian Rail. It's very cool, Bateman, but that's nothing. Look at this. That is really nice. Eggshell with Romalian type. What do you think? Nice. Jesus. <laughs> that is really super. How'd a nitwit like you get so tasteful? <laughs> I can't believe that Bryce prefers Van Patten's card to mine. But wait. You ain't seen nothing. Raised lettering, pale nimbus, white. Impressive. Very nice. Mm. Let's see Paul Allen's card. Look at that subtle off-white coloring. The tasteful thickness of it. Oh my god. It even has a watermark. Hey, um, so Michael. Why? I don't know what you were up to yesterday, but uh, I went to a pretty nice place in, in Midtown. It, it started us off with this entree of skeered scallops with a lemongrass miso sauce, and it went into a duck confit with a plum reduction. And... Uh, you know, mm. I, I was wearing my favorite Hugo Boster and uh, Valentino blazer. I don't yeah, know about and you. And, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, you know me. I, I was wearing my double a double breast coat with a, a Armani tie and a nice nice silk button down gray shirt from Hugo Boss, of course. And uh, I had the uh, calamari with the with the Brussels sprouts. So it was pretty delicious. You know, delicious. I saw I saw that recipe reviewed in Zagat last week. They had good things to say. Mm, did they? <laughs> did they now? Mm. <laughs> do you know uh do you know who's um handling the the uh, Fisher account? That fucking guy Paul Allen. <laughs> God damn it, a motherfucker Paul Allen. <laughs> well, uh, welcome everyone. Obviously we're talking about American Psycho and this is about how 60% of the conversations go in that book with the exception of well you have to throw in some racist jokes I guess and then you're covered right racist and homosexual uh homophobic jokes so Exactly yes uh this was an interesting one obviously there's probably a lot of trigger warnings with this a lot of um I guess violence especially towards women and innocent people in general and yeah, if we, I guess we'll be talking about some of the racist stuff, maybe, and the homophobia in this book. Oh God, <laughs> and crimes I mean, against the homeless? Like, oh, gosh. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of things that went on. Like, first time either of us have read this book, so. All right, so I'm going to start with a disclaimer and say, the opinions and statements spoken by Patrick Bateman during the duration of this episode do not in any way reflect the ideals or beliefs of novel ideas of the illiterati. We are simply messengers. Yes, definitely. I'm not even sure, like, and probably not even really even the same, uh, uh, probably Brett Ellison, the guy who wrote the book, probably not even his views either. He just oh, wanted to write a not. very, very fucked up character from the 80s, the height of capitalism in America. Well, it's like late oh. 80s, early 90s. Basically, where it, the mm -hmm. world was still just a huge party going on before shit really slapped us in the face in recent history, I guess. Basically, all the cunts you can blame for how stuff is now. Yep. Yep. And uh, where, do, where do we begin <laughs> with this story? Um, uh, do you want to summarize it? Um, well, I mean, you don't have to, like, there's a lot of detail, so obviously don't get into like every single detail, but I guess just sort of like, bro, Michael, Michael's the detail police. He'll be like, summarize it. Here's how you should summarize it though. I'm about to no, just never try to summarize again, or just like slap <laughs> word, slap you away from my summarizations. You no, fucking dude, summary oh. Nazi. I no, it's just, it's just like both. Like I, I do it too. It's just like. Uh, it's easy to just go off on a trail of every little detail of a story sometimes. That's true. I mean, because those are the fun parts. But, yeah, I mean, basically, yeah. 
the story follows Patrick Bateman, who does... Actually, we don't even know what work he does, but he's a high-profile individual. Probably something with mergers and acquisitions. You mean, um, you mean mergers and executions? Yes, exactly. Uh, but basically, him and his rich friends and their rich-ass lifestyle, the foods they eat, the clothes they wear, the parties they go to, the affairs they're all having, and gradually... Patrick Bateman starts expressing either more and more actual violent crimes or just thoughts of violent crimes. It all kind of comes to a head when we have a disappearance of a certain young man whose name I'm blanking on right now. Paul Allen? It is Paul Allen. Pa- Fuck me. Or, or Paul Owen in the book? Yes, exactly. Or Jared Leto. In the movie, <laughs> we're all fine with him disappearing for for some time. That's, that's we're cool with that. I forgot your little was in this movie. Okay, so he disappears. A detective comes around, starts asking questions. Honestly, in the movie, that becomes more of a thing. I think in the book, they just have one conversation. And he's not really a suspect. It's not as much of a. I yeah, guess, actually, I'm cool with talking about this Bateman. already. <laughs> you're, I know you're still sort of summarizing, but like, it's, yeah, it's interesting. It. It's interesting how they made the detective play throughout the film, and I thought it was like a very smart move because um, there's there's obviously like a lot of different events that they took out from the book, and because it's impossible to do everything in a over 400 page book. But I did like the detective sort of being the um, sort of like a the catalyst to keep like a narrative going like you basically have Patrick Bateman worrying about this detective the entire time whereas in the book it just he appears once and they have that conversation and that's it like and they Patrick broke up Bateman that charms conver- the detective entirely yeah and like I, I love it in the film like he's he's way more worried the entire time and i guess you get some of that stuff in his head in the book but like yeah. as time goes on especially when they're at the restaurant um him and the detective who's obviously played by william defoe i can't remember if you said that or not but william no. defoe plays it and it's fucking awesome especially like and the way like do you know about the um i, I guess i'll say it for everyone but uh the way that they shot the first sequence and I, they might have done it for every sequence with william defoe but basically, I think it was shot with like f- four different like um, types where William Defoe's character had uh, he either one didn't believe Bateman, or there was one where he completely trusted Bateman. There's one where he was indifferent, and then there was like a fourth one that I forget what it is. But basically, the like the the way they edited it is they edited all those together. So like in one shot. Like William Defoe sort of is playing the "I trust you" version of himself, and then like it cuts, and then uh, it comes back to him, and it's like the version of him that doesn't trust as much. So it was really and Mary Heron, the film, and I really like it. I, the director, she did a great job, and I, I, ta- I we, we we talked a little bit before, and I'm like I'm really glad that a woman directed this and not a guy, because I think it would have become a way more violent film <laughs> based off of the book. True. No, I I think she nailed a lot of it. Also, can I just say, so as the book progresses, obviously, Patrick Bateman's losing his mind a bit more and more, and he kind of goes on either, like, weird rampages through the streets of New York and, like, ends up eating junk food and then throwing up in the street, (laughs) and that whole rampage ends with him screaming at a Jewish deli person because they won't put... They won't give him a cheeseburger because it's kosher. And he starts screaming at them about the fact that he can't, he like, he can't understand (laughs) the concept of kosher in that moment. But I love that scene in the movie when he's kind of going through the rampage and he's in his own office building and he like shoots the guy at the desk and then he's going out the revolving doors and then turns around and sees the janitor and comes through the revolving doors just to shoot the janitor (laughs) and then leaves again. A beautiful Uh. comedy scene right there. Yeah, that was great. But I, I want to say I loved the way that sequence was done in the book because, like, the whole thing's first-person perspective, but then it just switches to third-person perspective. Yeah. Like, he, start, he starts saying, like, oh, Patrick did this. Patrick was, was thinking this. And just sort of, like, this disconnect of his own mind with his body. And it really plays into this, is this what he's actually doing? Is this not, is this all real or not and i thought it was a brilliant choice um to just 
switch out of the first person's perspective and move into the third. I, 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 I don't know if I've ever seen like a writer do something like that. So that was really cool by Brett Allison. Yeah. But so here's the thing. This book, if, if people haven't read it, it's, it's a lot more violent than the movie. Well, a, also, I think a lot of the movie violence happens a bit off screen, except for like the chainsaw scene, really. And like you see bodies in his apartment. But the book goes mm-hmm. into very copious detail of violent acts he's theoretically uh, slash actually yeah. doing with women. Like, a whole ass many pages of it. Like kind of necrophiliac type shit. Um, <laughs> and cannibalism. Cannibalism, as well. yeah. Um, but also there's like, and I can't say you're missing out on a lot with that. I mean, it is showing how deeply insane this person is, but you are missing out a lot of the repetitive ass, like the stuff we were doing at the beginning, literally every scene he's talking about what people are wearing because they're really hammering in the shallowness, materialistic nature of like who these people are. And it is, it never really stops being funny to me every time he's pointing out what someone's wearing, that they're wearing glasses <laughs> that they don't need. And they're from the same line of eyewear that everyone loves, uh, who has better haircuts and like who has a great tan going on. Like they touch a bit on that in the movie. And he's really mad that Paul Allen has his own tanning bed because <laughs> yes, he didn't think of it first. <laughs> yeah, that was a great, that goes on for like an entire fucking chapter in the book. <laughs> and then like him, I guess, what was that? I think he ends up getting Jean, his secretary, to, uh, like, look into seeing if anyone is ever, like, selling, like, a tanning bed or something. Well, that's the thing. Patrick Bateman is a hilarious character. Like, when you put aside the violent parts because he spends this whole lunch oh, ragging yeah. on Paul Allen because he's like, it's so stupid. It's the stupidest thing I've heard of to have your own tanning bed. And he immediately gets back to his office and he's like, Jean, how do I make this happen? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's what happens when you're... Your character is all about performance and what he says, he's just trying to fit in. Yeah. Someone who really focuses on materialism, which is also why I love this scene when he's talking about, it's, it's, it's in the book and it's in the film, and he's talking about how there's like more issues than Sri Lanka or whatever that was happening at the time. And then he just goes into like all these things, of these things we need to do, like feed the homeless and and uh, basically get rid of materialism in the youth. And I'm like, all of these things are issues you have, Patrick. Like, he's so materialistic. He doesn't know how to help the homeless. He has all this money. And, like, every time, like, he ends up... The one time he tried to connect with a homeless person, like, he ends up killing the guy. No, he doesn't even kill them. It's worse. Like, he stabs him. He blinds him. Like, the movie... I was dreading it coming up on that scene in the movie because I forgot that the movie took a a less gory aspect but in the book he he literally stabs this guy blinds him stomps on his dog's feet and like you see that happening a bit in the movie like they pan out which is good because i don't want to see even a a cg mangled dog but and then like later he finds him again right because there's a scene later in the book where he comes across this man who is permanently blinded now and he like leans in and whispers something to him and the guy's like oh god please don't hurt me because he knows he's back which is so fucked up. I don't know if I don't know if it's the same guy or not. It was just it was at least a guy that was um, saying that he was in Vietnam, and Patrick Bateman was like, "You were not in Vietnam or whatever." I, don't know, I thought I don't, it was I the mean, same dude, but I'll I'll look back into it. It could be. It could be. Like I I didn't think so, but like the, what you're saying now, I'm like, oh, you you probably got the connection, and I didn't. That makes sense to me. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many more killings. The the. The one where he kills the kid at, what, it was like a water, it was like a aquarium or something that he was at. Um, he just stabs a boy. And then, that's yeah. so fucked up, he like stabs the kid and then he pretends like he's a doctor. So you can yeah. just stay there while the kid's dying and not actually help. That was insane. That was just like, holy fuck. <laughs> I've like never read or seen like something like that in any sort of media before. And I was just like what the fuck this is uh maybe the heaviest kind of killing i've ever you know in terms of media that i've seen or read because it's like what his mom's like thinking the kid's just like playing in the trash can or whatnot and then he's like bleeding and patrick bateman was like just schmoozing with some foreign lady to sort of like be around it and watch the sequence yeah so and I'm, I think there's a lot of genius to the layers of how this book is done because 
all right, this is, and this is not even me getting political. It's just because of recent events that it's political. But let's take this book where it happened in the fucking 90s before. And I think you know where I'm going. But before any politics happened, it's absolutely nailed right that you have this whole host of guys that are CEO types big money types and Patrick Bateman's the only one really idolizing serial killers but like it is very apropos considering the kind of work they do <laughs> and and he's quoting Ed Gein he's talking about Ted Bundy and it's very perfect also I think it's really a nice nod from the author that he had Patrick Bateman meet up with the girl that dumped him in college because that was like Ted Bundy's like one of his big things that he was humiliated about and angry about was the girl that dumped him because she didn't think he was going anywhere. And now he was like in law school trying to show her up. And it's interesting that all the the women he targeted had brown hair like her parted down the middle. So it was a mm-hmm. nice nod to like that element of Ted Bundy's psychopathy, but also the fact that he idolizes the fuck out of Donald Trump. And again, we're cutting this off before <laughs> politics. I'm not talking about Donald Trump, the president, but I'm talking about the kind of people that idolized his playboy. He owns shit. He has gilded gold fucking hotels. Like it's so perfect. Gilded hotels, host. What, what, what is it? He, he owns uh, which beauty pageant? Um, Miss America or is it Miss USA? One of those two. So it's just sort of these guys, these guys that are very sexist and only care about women's looks. And they also, all that matters is money and uh, power and they'll pretend to care about people, but don't in any sort of way. And it's a real interesting dynamic and a great portrayal of, I guess, the elites of New York in the 80s. Yeah, and I love all the nods to how interchangeable these people are because they mistake mm-hmm. each other for someone else all the time. And I love their like running gag with Paul Allen where he keeps calling Patrick Bateman the wrong guy and Patrick Bateman keeps pretending like he is dating Cecilia. When he asks him how Cecilia's doing, he always tells him. Like he just keeps this running gag with him, which is good. Um, yeah. And like people consistently call him the wrong name throughout, which is funny too. Yeah, because and that plays really well for his serial killing because he can just sort of chameleon himself into being anyone and people will buy it. It works too with like him calling the prostitute uh, Cecilia. Was it Cecilia? Mm-hmm. Or was it Cynthia? Uh, Cecilia, yeah. Okay. Something. I don't Cindy. remember. It was like Cynthia. Cynthia. I think it was Cynthia. And uh, so it's basically, and like he starts calling himself Paul Allen because now it sort of creates. Um, if anyone's sort of talking, then the word gets out that Paul Allen is around and alive and people like there's, there's all the times where people are like, oh yeah, we saw Paul Allen here, blah, blah, blah. Or, or or the guy at the end where he's like, no, I had lunch with Paul Allen in London 10 days ago. It just sort of allows for, for, for Patrick Bateman to sort of become anyone in this elite society since really they're all basically the same people. Yeah. And so it's interesting that kind of gets into, I don't know, did you do, did you do the audible for it this week? Yeah, and it was good. (laughs) The guys, he did like very subtle differences between the voices and they were perfect. Um, But also if you kept listening after the end, there's this whole interview with the author that they tacked onto the end of the book. Did you listen to it? I actually didn't, but uh, I would love to hear about it. So it was really great because the author, and I'll bring up it at different points, but basically one of the things he talked about is that's the main question he always gets asked by fans is, did Patrick Bateman actually commit the crimes? And his takeaway is, it doesn't fucking matter. He's like, does it make it less interesting if it's one or the other? He's like, that's not the point of the story. And (laughs) I love that there's hints, like he's purposely put hints that either one is true because A, you could say someone saying I had lunch with Paul Allen in London 10 days ago is, well, he's alive. Or it could just be this continual cycle of all these people are so interchangeable. Like the detective said, one of the witnesses who saw him actually saw someone else who he looked like. So like it could be peppered in in different ways. And that's so perfect. And it's like such playful writing. Yeah, that and also I think it uh, 
Shit, I had something for a second. Did I just lose it? Um, for me, I, 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 I like to think that he did do the killings. And um, I think his rampage was a bit like maybe more of like a fever dream. But I think he like actually did the killings. And it's sort of like because he's so elite and high up, basically, you can kind of get away with things. <laughs> um, yeah. No one really looks to you, to, to these people as like the murder murderers because you know you're kind of like the upper class and uh you can kind of get away with things and they're always gonna like, like for example like the detective was like why would uh why would you, you guys as a group of friends end up killing one one of y'all killing paul allen and it's I, I feel like i'm willing to bet there's plenty of people up at the top of our society that have killed people and get away with it but that's just that's uh Unfortunately, the way the police work goes, they always look to people who are lower class that have, that have done things. Here's why I disagree with you. Well, A, I think that's mm -hmm. getting a bit conspiracy about rich people, which don't get me wrong. Like, I think, oh, no, I I think mean, they're conspiratorial not, yes. in more subtle ways that are actually more mm -hmm. damning to a large group of people. So I can definitely personally see, I think, the kind of person Patrick Bateman is compared to the kind of people he idolizes, I think... Like a lot of rich men at the time, he's definitely been shitty to sex workers. He's definitely been shitty to homeless people. I think he thinks he's better than them. So I think the bad behavior goes up until the actual killings. And those are just something he'd like to do. Or maybe it's just like a very visceral example of the way that he feels about people on a lower socioeconomic stratus than he's on. I don't think they mm -hmm. actually go to the point of violence, but... It's almost so like it's almost worse that it doesn't because when you have that sort of power and pull, you don't have to actually kill people. You can fuck people over in so many more ways. And I don't know. I, I like that interpretation because think of other rich men who have had allegations of sex abuse. They haven't probably actually killed women, but that's not... It doesn't make you rest any easier that they got away with just being shitty to people. Because it's almost like they know how much they can get away with up until a certain point that they won't get in trouble. I mean, murder is harder to pull off and not get in trouble, but you can be abusive to women and get away with it for decades. And that's really bad because it's almost like that enables you to keep doing it. Whereas if you actually killed someone, you know, it's harder for people to turn away at that point. There's, there's fewer layers of to a to a degree um and i'm only gonna say this because i kind of grew up a, a, around like in an area that had people that were well off and there's definitely certain things that uh a little conspiratorial but it, there's certain things that lean to truth of basically certain people got away with murder because they are at the top um, i'm sure some people do well, yeah right, right but right i'm not saying like all of them like i'm well, of course not everyone like that's rich is murdering people. It's obviously like, you know, Patrick Bateman is, is one out of like a hundred characters in this book. But I, I think it's just sort of, I think if you, if you are of an affluency, it's easier to get away with shit than anyone else. That's sort True. of what I, mean, I take away from the book. So that's just sort of, that's my interpretation. And that's how I see the book at least. Yeah. So, and another thing that's interesting I was reading up on, they were going, they were considering casting Leonardo DiCaprio because this was right after Titanic <laughs> happened and they're like, he's a big name. I honestly, I agree with them. This worked a lot better. I mean, A, Christian Bale looked exactly like what you'd expect Patrick Bateman to look like. Um, mm -hmm. Apparently he worked out like a fiend for the movie. You can tell. I mean, he, he looks good for the role. He's got, I don't know, there's something about Christian Bale in the 90s. He looked like he had lip fillers. He had like this model boy pout thing that he did in so many scenes, um, and it, it could was just be the makeup. It could but, be, yeah. um, but like I don't, I don't see anyone else pulling it off as well. He's got, he's just got the acting chops to do it. And one funny thing that they were saying, like the crew was saying, like we didn't actually, we were really worried about if it was DiCaprio. He had such a like following of young women who were in love with him. We did not want 13 year olds seeing this movie. <laughs> He was like, we did not want to go down that route at all. Yeah, I I just don't see young Leonardo pulling this off. He was just too much. I mean, maybe it's just he was too sweet. Of the roles that he was in. Yeah, he was too much of a pretty boy. Like, I mean, up until like, I mean, the only 
film I can think of Leonardo DiCaprio actually like playing a bad guy was Django Unchained, and he did a great job in that. But like that was him in like his 40s, so I don't know. Love Christian Bale in this. Uh, was also I, I find it hilarious that uh, when preparing for the role, he was he was watching a lot of like Tom Cruise interviews and sort of using Tom Cruise as a character build and. In the book, uh, Tom Cruise was uh, <laughs> living in the same apartment building as Patrick Bayman, <laughs> and they actually had yeah. the conversation. I was like, that's really weird and odd that <laughs> that happened that way, but really, it was, I don't know, I find that little, a weird connection between them and it's a little funny to me. True. I am glad, so like, of the ramblings they kept in, um, obviously mm-hmm. you didn't get into the other stuff I mentioned, but I love that they kept these crazy sort of monologues he would go on about different musicians i mean the book he spends like Mm -hmm. a couple of pages talking about whitney houston's albums (laughs) which was funny but like yeah i like that in the middle of like telling positioning these sex workers he's like going off on a ramble about huey lewis and the news and he's like hey but but go over there and start dancing. Like don't don't forget why you're here. But listen to me as well. <laughs> yeah, I I love how the movie used those sections of the book because in the book it's just him just basically talking out loud. And can I just say that I think Patrick Bateman, um, you know, it's a bit of a shame that uh, he was in whatever business he was in and didn't, wasn't like a music critic. You know, like the way he described everything, I was like, damn man, like. You're kind of what uh what what we need. We need we need we need we need someone uh, doing this shit. Maybe you wouldn't have ended up um, murdering a bunch of women if you became a music critic. You know, it seems to be something you really enjoy. But uh, and yeah. so that's the lesson here today, uh, kids. Uh, follow what you follow your dreams. Um, if you want to be a music critic, be a music critic. If your dreams are murdering people, pl- don't don't follow those. Um, but yeah, it's it was it was a great choice with how they they used these little. This, these, those little tidbits but and it also plays really well with just how like his critique of the music is also i think a great way to develop his character beyond um how materialistic he is and how much he focuses on appearances and things like that and the detail of like his his critique in the music uh kind like reminded me a lot like earlier in the book when he's just sort of describing his routine and all the things in his apartment and it's like He's very methodical about what he what he puts on as a character in his day to day life, and also what he listens to. He 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 wants to, as he as I said earlier, he just wants to fit in. So he 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 that's the reason why he. It seems he only likes commercial music. Is kind of what I was getting because what was it? He talked about how he didn't like like Huey Lewis and the News like first album because it was too artsy and too intellectual. Yeah. Well. Like, that's the thing. It's weird because it, the rest of the time you're getting all of, like, I got this dish because when they wrote a review in The New Yorker, this is the dish they talked about, things like that. And when he is talking about music, normally it's where people get a little more personal, but even his diatribes on music seem just like a very bland article written by someone who had to write about music. There's no actual excitement. <laughs> like, he'll say, that's my oh, personal yeah. favorite song, but he's never like, this song just makes me feel alive. You know, there's no actual identification with it. It's just, a, I listen to music like people do. I have these takeaways about music. Right, and I think I think it's sort of, because, like, he, he reads these, uh, this is sort of just spitballing here, but he sort of, like, he reads these, critiques from other people and now he's sort of doing his own to sort of and so like he finds connections with these reviews by you know going and doing these things and sort of like he's creating his own critique to sort of go to us as a reader to listen to things his way and sort of maybe he could have like a connection with us and that's just sort of I don't know I, I sort of get this weird like he's trying to have a ha- sort of um, fit in with us the readers as well true uh, and it's funny, the times people do get under his skin, it's over things that shouldn't matter as much. So we have the infamous business card scene. Or I think in the book, it happened during dinner instead of at work in the meeting. And in the book, it kind of just puts mm-hmm. him off wanting dinner at all. <laughs> um, because yeah. he has found better business cards than his and all his excitement just diminishes entirely. Yeah, and because so, what was it? They were at dinner and there was like some billionaire kid from like the South or something and... Oh yeah, um, yeah, 
everyone was making fun of him because he was short. But then they're like, and what was it? They, they all got pissed off because like he he bought their table like w- wine, but it wasn't a it wasn't vintage or something. It was it was just like a normal version of that type of wine or something, and they were just pissed off because like. But it's like, this guy still bought you guys a fucking bottle of wine. Like, he didn't have to do that. True. Um, and it's also funny how, like, obsessed he is with getting actual reservations. He likes having a place to go and a guaranteed good table at restaurants, even if he's not even eating. Even though, like, apparently they'll go and they'll get really nice dishes and leave before they actually finish their food or before they actually like they'll get a nice bottle of champagne and not even drink it and they don't even care but they want to have the nice table almost so they're being seen at the nice table and making other people covet their position and they're not actually even like taking the time to enjoy themselves there no and they don't, they're not enjoying the food or the drinks it's more of they're kind of there to also just people watch like they're always like saying, "Oh, is this person there, or is that is that that person? Um, is that some elite person over there? Is that, that Ivanka Trump?" That <laughs> right, that happens multiple <laughs> times, and it's like they just want to be in the same room as as these elite people, and it's just like that's all that they care about. That's all that their life is, and yeah, I think yeah, I I couldn't imagine having a life like that. It just sounds that sounds just stressful in its own weird way i like just constantly worrying about looks and where you're at and who's around you it just it just sounds it sounds psychopathic <laughs> um uh which i True. guess is why patrick ended up this way so but uh yeah go ahead i'm gonna say a big strength of the movie and again mm-hmm. i think it's a great book i think there's a lot of subtlety in it that people might be interested in especially if you actually want to get into the character of patrick bateman But the movie, I think, does a great job of interjecting humor because in the book, there's just many passages where you're just continuously in the repetitive, violent thoughts of a person. And the movie cuts in with humor in places so you don't just kind of feel bogged down by that. Yes. The humor in the book is so subtle. And it it is in the movie as well, but even more subtle in the book and... At times you're like, is this a satire? <laughs> um, but which I, I think I it agree. is. I know it is. I mean, uh, Brett Easton Ellis, which I think I mispronounced his name earlier, so I'm gonna actually say his name, Brett Easton Ellis. Yeah, he's a he's a satirist. So I haven't. I need to check out his other works. But yeah, it's a, it's a it's a supposed to be like a dark comedy, um, but and, it's definitely but like uh, get... more raw. <laughs> so. Yeah. And you do, you get some of the subtle humor in the movie, but you also get gems such as Patrick Bateman staring at himself in the mirror when he's having sex with a person. Like it, (laughs) and like flexing his muscles. I mean, perfect. Absolutely perfect directing in these moments. I will say, like, so the changes that bothered me specifically in the movie, he's actually working for his father's company, whereas in the book, Patrick Bateman had the option of working for his father's company, but he chose to go somewhere else, which I think checks out with his character because he is very determined to be successful on his own terms. And Mm -hmm. I can see why they would do that for simple simplicity, but not even because it would just literally be saying the exact opposite statement in the movie. But um, I guess if you're trying to show the inherent nepotism and the injustice of the system, it, it would make sense to take that approach as well. But I did think that was an interesting layer to him in the book that he wanted to find his own success at a company on his own. I'm with you on that. I thought it was really cool. And I like when I I, I think it was when he was talking with the girl he liked from college and she was like, oh, don't your don't your parents own she was about and she was about to say it. And he like cuts her off. So it creates even more of a mysticism around Patrick, which Speaking of, like, you actually get a little bit of uh, stuff with his family members. Like, apparently Patrick has a brother. And I'm blanking on exactly what happened in the book with his brother. But if I remember correctly, they were just very different. And, like, there's, like, a whole... There's a small sequence with his mother as well. Well, that's the funny thing. Like, his brother and he are different personalities, but they're still in the same world. So his brother... Mm -hmm. 
likes to be... He's the younger, kind of more, quote, fuck-up brother, but he can get a table at Dorcia, and Patrick can't. And he won't tell yeah. him how, and Patrick's too <laughs> proud to ask him how he does it. And then his brother very much does the younger brother thing of saying, oh, that's where you and your friends hang out? That place is old news. And, like, it bothers Patrick, but he won't let it show that it bothers him when he says yeah. things like that. Uh, yeah, it's, it's great. I, speaking of like, th- like little things that bother Patrick, I love when the detective shows up in the, in the book and like, like the detective is dressed really nice and apparently he's the same, a- around the same age as Patrick, but like he wears like his suit in a more like raggedy look that makes him look more hip and it really bothered Patrick. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> like... That's just hilarious. Because, like, I mean, Patrick's someone who has to have everything exactly as it is. So someone who's wearing their suit just slightly off would would bother him. Another change, this didn't make a lot of sense to me. I mean, he and Evelyn are essentially kind of engaged in the movie. Whereas in the Mm -hmm. book, he's just kind of going through a revolving number of women. And Evelyn doesn't actually even show up until later in the book as a, I mean, someone he thinks is a hard body and is someone he's interested in hooking up with. But none of these women are actually, I'd actually honestly say the healthiest relationship he has is with his secretary, which is sad because he's totally a shit to her when she wears pants. But he doesn't actually really entangle her in his bullshit. Um, he just kind of gives her a hard time at work. And I think it's actually also in a fucked up way. Sweet. He doesn't actually want to hurt her either. No, I think she's the only one that he actually cares about. Yeah. And maybe that's because she takes care of him as a secretary. But like, it seems she was the only person he kind of actually had a real connection with. Like he, he had issues with just like having conversations with, especially with a lot of women. Um, cause like. He was hanging out with either elite women or models, um, and they just all were saying the same exact thing. But at least with Jean, there was she didn't she didn't seem like she like came from money, and she just sort of is trying to figure out her life. And she was more interesting to him than everyone else. And I do like I like when they go to uh, when they go to Dorcia. Like um, in the movie, they never end up going to the restaurant, but in the book, they do. And since Patrick Bateman actually didn't get a reservation, he like reads on the on the on the card or the reservation list of a different person, so they get their seat, and then those guests end up showing up later. Yeah. <laughs> and and then like they have. They have to, it's like a very awkward situation and Patrick's feeling absolutely terrible and like it's the worst possible thing that could happen to him. But then like Gene just sort of laughs it off and like thinks it's hilarious. Yeah. And that's what's funny is the, the like his co-workers and the women he dislikes in the novel are the ones that are more like him. But Gene is definitely not in their world. So she doesn't bother him as much, funny enough. Mm hmm. It's only the the physical looks shit that bothers with him, and like he he wants her to wear a dress and heels and shit like that, and it's just like, Gene seems like a cool person. Well, and even then, uh, it's funny because he's not being a typical person. He's not even doing it because he wants to check Gene out and be a lewd boss. He just wants the status of, I have an attractive secretary that dresses mm-hmm. really well. Oh yeah, yeah. Everything's. Everything's about looks to Patrick. Oh, the sex scene with Courtney is actually... There's a lot of humor in the book where he he starts freaking out because there's no spermicidal lubricant. And then he goes in the bathroom and he's yelling at her and he's like... He has to keep repeating himself. He's like, where is your spermicidal lubricant? (laughs) And she's just not at all worried about the situation like he is. And... The guy doing the reading, again, just nailed, nailed the tension in his voice during that scene. Uh, yes, I forgot about that. That was a great moment. I did, there's a lot more stuff in the book and with dealing with Lewis. So Lewis is, uh, it's the 80s. He's a, he's a closeted homosexual getting married to... Courtney. Cecilia. Courtney, Courtney, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so Who Patrick is names. fucking. Yeah, so Patrick is fucking, <laughs> and, like, so Patrick tries to kill him at some, one point, but, like, Lewis thinks that Patrick is coming on to him, and in the end, it ends up, like, 
it's saving so his life that right it saves his life and then it's just sort of but it's just so sad watching like lewis um deteriorate because patrick doesn't actually like him and just watching uh what was it, it was like the scene where, i forget we were like at like a clothing store or something and basically like lewis like is, is like kissing like patrick's shoes and whatnot like basically trying to show that like he's fully infatuated with him and it's just like watching this guy sort of you know just can't figure out that patrick doesn't actually have have sexual feelings for him in any sort of way um it was just really sad watching his character deteriorate over like multiple chapters and it's sad because you know it's nothing about patrick bateman's actual character that lewis likes it's sad that mm-hmm. the society is so wrapped up with status that Lewis just likes the more successful, better dressed, less awkward version of the man he's trying to be. Exactly. Oh, okay. And another mm-hmm. thing. In the in the book, so we do see a bit of Evelyn's Christmas party and they throw in a lot of like kind of subtle things like when someone puts the reindeer antlers on him. And that happens in the book, too, that he realizes at one point he's been wearing reindeer antlers and this bothers him because someone put them on and he didn't know. But it's like this whole sad thing in the book where he gets her to leave his party and not actually because she thinks it's this whole romantic sweeping thing that he's doing. But he really just is sick of the scene and he's trying to take her to tunnel. Yeah. So he whisks her away. They take someone else's limo. This poor girl finds a diamond necklace that... I think it was, was it Paul Allen's limo? Because Paul Allen was going no, to give his girl... It was a, I think it was a completely different person um, that he was basically becoming a chameleon of. Oh, Cecilia. But, this is Cecilia. The guy who's yeah. with Cecilia, who he keeps getting confused for. Something like that. Yeah. And, like, she finds this diamond necklace and thinks it's from Patrick and that he's going to actually propose, but then he takes her to tunnel and then he yells at someone else's girlfriend and then he yells at her and basically is like, leave. I'm here and I have my cocaine. I don't want to see you anymore. But they, the other guy who was just as much of a dick as Patrick to his own girlfriend. Exactly. And there's this hilarious bit, though, as they're leaving, where she is convinced the only reason he wants to leave his party is because the Waldorf salad was not to his liking. And she asks about yes. the Waldorf salad like 15 <laughs> times in the book. And then finally, like, when he's had enough of her, he's like, you know what? The Waldorf salad sucked. And, like, you feel bad for a second, but then you remember, everything's catered. It's not like she made the salad. She's just really worried that caterers didn't get this meal to be as impressive as she wanted it to be for her guests. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was a great moment. Well, something they did, because there were obviously a lot of murders that happened in the book that, you know, they had to make a a not-five-hour movie, I guess, so... But it's really interesting that when they have this, like, crazed call to his lawyer, he's confessing to murders that happened in the book, but we don't see on screen. Like, there's, you know, the... the There wasn't a name for the character, but there's, like, the gay man with his dog, and he, like, mm-hmm. attacks both him and his dog, and he confesses to that in the movie, though we don't see it happen, but we know that's a scene from the book, and there's... um like, the model that we see going home with him, and we see the sex worker seeing, like, uh, her body, or, like, I think it's her head that's in his freezer, but the book, you know, goes mm-hmm. through that whole murder scene. But like, yeah, he's confessing to off-screen murders. That is a nice nod to people that have read the book. I liked that. Yeah. That and the eating of brains. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. which, which was, like, a weird connection to, like, the sorbet that he gets and whatnot. I think it was, like, the chapter before that they got sorbet, and then it was just, like, the next chapter he's eating someone's brains. Yeah, it was cool, the little little nods that are in the film that uh, you wouldn't know about if you, if you haven't read it. Well, I was going to say, one of the other interesting things they mentioned in this interview, so um, the book was not an instant success, and the author actually was like, I, I thought this might happen and I needed to sit with it because he was like, I think people could understand what I was going for. And it took a couple of years and then the book got quite big. And mm-hmm. then what's funny is the movie as well. Apparently there were multiple voicemails left for Christian Bale that this would ruin his career if he took on this movie. But he's the kind of guy where that just made him way more interested in it. 
Um, he's like, that sounds like a great role then. This sounds like it has the power to go somewhere. And what's also interesting is uh, Brett was saying this is actually the character he feels is the most autobiographical because he thinks he conveyed really well what it's like to feel isolated from people. Mm-hmm. And that's a very good point because obviously, you know, looking past the murder and I don't think Brett Ellis is a, a homophobic, racist, violent person hiding in plain sight. But no. that's a big part of Pat Bateman's character, though, is he is going through the motions to fit in. But it's not that he actually is ever really having a good time. And that's hard to show in the movie. But, yeah, they're having these very nice meals that I'm very jealous of. But they're not enjoying them because, like, oh, this is really good food. They're parroting what reviews have said. He's having sex with these women that he says are attractive. But... That's another thing that I think the sex scene was like the closest thing you get to an actual sex scene because the other times it's just violence against sex workers. But the sex scene with Courtney, it's not good sex either. It's just yeah, two very I don't think he actually awkward enjoys people. Sex. Yeah, I don't think no. he actually enjoys sex. It's sort of like his way of make, getting people to be extremely vulnerable, and then now he's sort of ple- pleasured them. Now he can have his pleasure. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 I don't get the vibe that, especially in the book, because like sort of the way like he describes the sex is just so matter-of-factly. There's no passion in it at all. There's no, as you were saying about like the whole music as well, there's no feeling behind it, because really Patrick doesn't have any um, strong feelings one way or another about anything, um, except, for kill- except for killing people, which he seems to love. Um, but... Yeah, sex well, is just sort of... Um, yeah, go ahead. True. I will say there's a passage where it seems like he's enjoying the sex, but it is with the two sex workers. And I think even then, like he is... And I'm going to get a little graphic. He's describing that he came very hard, but I think in that instance, it's more of he's getting off on the power dynamic and also, unfortunately, yes. the thoughts of the violent acts he's about to commit with these women. Yeah, I think it's more... He's His, his orgasm is him getting excited for what he's about to do very true cool oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well um that's american psycho <laughs> we've done it we've done it are you are you excited uh now we can finally go and watch american psycho too is there really a second one yeah there's like a shitty american psycho apparently it has uh, Mila Kunis as the main character playing someone called Rachel. I think Rachel might have been in the book. Um, but yeah, it's directed by a different person. And obviously, Brett Easton Ellis was not a part of it. And it looks horrible. Oh, well, that's okay. Um, I think it, I'm fine. <laughs> it has a thir- 3.8 on IMDb. Oof. Yeah. Oh, it, the full title is American Psycho 2. All-American girl. Oh, God, stop. Well, if you don't feel like doing that, it's not redeeming it. All right, so instead of that, if you want to read along, watch along our next one. So, oh, we're a bit thrown off on our months because life. Oh, and I forgot to mention, I did research for this episode by going to New York this past weekend. Um, Mm -hmm. I did not get a table at Dorcia. Yes. I did try to feed a cat to an ATM. That didn't go well. As but you should. <laughs> but that was nice. Um, I can see how New York summer could drive someone crazy because, Jesus, that, that was a somehow bested Georgian summer. That was insane. Um, mm. But, yeah, uh, our next month we're going a very different direction. We're doing some coming of age. I mean, I guess this kind of works. He's only 27 hey. and such a psychopath so young. But... Uh, yeah, we're going to be covering holes next. Digging up them holes, digging, digging up them holes, holes. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> it's what? gonna be so what? much fun. Oh, uh, I loved this book as a kid, and I sort of liked the movie as a kid. I'll, we'll see how I, how I feel as an adult. Yeah. Um, uh, good old Louis Sicar. <laughs> he was the guy that wrote it. Um, and then, uh, as everyone knows, it stars Shia LaBeouf. Oh, um, that that guy. Our, um, our, our favorite living psychopath. Oh, dear. 
Well, I mean, Jared Leto's up there too. Yeah. Well, he's not. He's not a favorite of mine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, holes will be interesting. Uh, good old Stanley yells that shit. All, all shit's coming back to me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, next week. Um, also this uh, this month. So I guess we've got three weekends left. We're gonna do holes. We're gonna do an education. We're gonna do call me by your name. It's finally happening. What? That that little Nas X song. <laughs> Um, yes, although everyone should listen to that, too, because it's great. And watch the video. If you haven't already, God, I feel like this is months late to tell people to, but if you if you somehow been under a rock. <laughs> yeah. Uh, cool. Looking forward to it. Should be fun. Um, as always, read along, watch along. It's not that long of a book, uh, so, you know, if you feel like reading along, definitely... Join it. It's only like 200 and something pages. Oh, good. After a 16-hour audiobook with American Psycho, I think we need that little break. Yeah, um, which I'm going to be reading this one because I, I, want, I want to feel a copy of, of, of holes in my hands just like when I was a little boy. But, uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it should be fun. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, cool. Also, thank you, Slovakia. Slovakia has been listening to us really hard. <laughs> I know. What? <laughs> Shit. When we go on a world tour, we're stopping uh, in Slovakia. For sure. If you want mm-hmm. us to review a book near you, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cool. Um, well, yeah. Join us next week. See you guys. Bye. I don't know, Patrick. I can't make this decision. Come on. Where do you want to go? Anywhere you want. Just say it. I can get us in anywhere. What about... Dorcia? So... Dorcia is where Jean wants to go. I don't know. No, we'll go anywhere, wherever you want to go. Dorcia is fine. Uh, Dorcia, yes? Yeah, can you take two tonight at, well, let's say, 9 o'clock? We're totally booked. Really? That's great. No, I said we are totally booked. Two at 9? Perfect. See you then. Yeah? You're... dressed okay? You didn't give a name.